Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hello. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. I've said it before. I will say it again. I'm happy you are here. Thank you for listening. And today will be a solo episode, another one. And so it might be shorter. It kind of depends. The last couple of solo episodes have been a little longer, which has kind of surprised me. It's been one of those things where I knew I had something to say. I didn't really outline it in my head. I just uh, geared up and hit record and started talking and then looked at the clock and 45 minutes, almost an hour had passed. So I doubt it's going to be one of those days. I don't think I have as much to say on this, but hopefully it's a topic you find valuable. Again, I, I think I say that every time, but really, I hope you find this valuable. And today we'll, we will be talking, I will be talking about being sensitive and sensitivity and highly sensitive people. You might be one, you might know one, you likely know one. I know that you interact with them because the world is full of them. And maybe this will maybe shift your perspective on them, whether it's viewing others and or yourself. And so let's get started. I myself would classify myself absolutely as a highly sensitive person, always have been. And I really think that that's just the way I'm wired. Speaking of that, I highly encourage you to read Quiet. I think it's Quiet, the Power of Introverts. I think that's the full title by Susan Cain. Game changer. I'm telling you what, I've recommended it many times and people who have read it have raved about it as well. So big, big fan of it. And one of the reasons is it's science-based too. She has such a beautiful way of combining both narrative and science. My favorite to get both. And it's so powerful because it's like the name suggests, speaks to the power of introversion and quietness and talks about how different cultures view introversion. And so our Western culture really values people who speak up. And like in the book, it details how that shows up just from when we're kids, from when we're babies, not even kids, just babies. And then throughout where you know, we're labeling people as shy, kids as shy if they're not speaking up or if they're not as verbose, they're not as loud or talkative as others. And there seems to be a stigma attached. I don't even know if I should say seems to be there. There is. And then it shows how people from other cultures, if they will come into our education system, and it's such a culture shock because in other cultures, like Eastern cultures, extroversion isn't necessarily heralded as the best. You know, there's a lot of value actually in the quiet leaders and only speaking when you have something to say in a lot of cultures, like Eastern cultures, 
you don't speak just to speak, whereas that's what we do here. So they would talk about how people would show up to class and they wouldn't say anything unless they had something to share or say. And that was counted against them in their grades and in the teacher's perspective of them and others' view of them where the the outsider, I, should, I don't want to call him an outsider, but just for this purpose, like the outsider, they would only speak if they had something to say. You know, they would keep quiet. Otherwise, they would observe. They would absorb. They would take it all in. Whereas in this culture, the louder the better. That's how you're announcing yourself. That's how you're proving yourself. That's how you're establishing yourself. And that just continues through your career. And it's the quiet people who get forgotten or get discounted or get dismissed. And they're seen as not as intelligent or not as valuable or not as nice or friendly or whatever. And it's just such a shame because that's so not true. And it talks about how valuable and powerful quiet leaders can be because they're there to support the people. They're there to not take center stage, not let their ego get in the way. And just because you're an extrovert doesn't mean that you're ego-driven. But when you're a quiet leader, that allows you to do things that maybe an extroverted leader wouldn't be able to do. You're able to lift up those around you. You're able to focus on what really matters and prioritize and cut through all the noise and minimize the noise and minimize the distractions And so there's just such power in that. And also in this book, oh, this is where the science comes in. She cites all these studies where they have done or they have studied babies, like fresh out of the womb babies and done tests on them, I think just like a couple of days old. And just through certain tests that they're able to assess how these babies are responding to certain stimuli and I think they track like the eye movement and just the physiological responses to some of these stimuli. They're able to see that these babies are highly sensitive and it's how they're wired. It's psychosomatic and it's physiological. It's not just psychological. And so there is a physiological wiring. Sorry if you can hear me. I'm fighting with my puppy who's trying to destroy and eat everything in my house. But they're responding to these stimuli And so it shows, you know, you have the nature versus nurture argument, and I'm a believer that it's both, and we're complex humans who live in a world with many factors, and so to tease all of that out and just assign it to either nature versus nurture doesn't quite make sense to me. You know, I'm a, if you've listened to me before, I'm a big believer in nuance and complexity and acknowledging that, and so binary just doesn't quite capture the world and the people in it, including you and me. So going back to this study and they would, they would study the babies and then throughout, it was kind of a longitude or a long study and fascinating. And then it also studied, cited other studies where it would just assess people, how they respond to certain stimuli in certain situations. And so like, for example, I myself, it doesn't matter if it's a topic that I know well, that I'm well versed in, that I've studied relentlessly. If you ask me to speak extemporaneously on it, or if you ask me a question, even honestly, I was just joking about this at work the other day. If you were to ask me my name, how to spell my name on the spot, I would 
doubt it would take me a minute. I would pause just to make sure. And then I would doubt like, oh, is that, is it really W-H-I-T-N-E-Y? Is it any Y? Or maybe it's any, no, it's any Y. Like just laughable. That's just asinine that I would even doubt that, right? I know how to spell my friggin' name, but me putting myself on the spot. And so I wanted to cry when I read this in the book that it just shows how your brain is responding. And so with highly sensitive people, you're so sensitive. That's where the sensitivity comes in to all that stimuli that sometimes it halts and it impacts your brain processing, your cognition. And so even if it's something that you know well, it impacts your cognition and how you're processing information and how you're accessing information that you know before. And so it's very hard for highly sensitive people to especially speak in front of people off the cuff and or answer questions that they know just off the cuff if they don't have time to prepare. So that preparation time is key. And for the longest time, I felt like a dum-dum. I felt like, what is wrong with me? I know this. And then I feel like people are going to think I don't. And not that it matters what people think, but to an extent, I think it's healthy to care about, about what people think. But anyways, that's that's a tangent. But I would think, oh, if I am not as articulate and and able to explain this as well, off the cuff, people are going to doubt or it's going to seem like I don't know what I'm talking about. And so that was so reassuring for me to see that it's just how my brain is wired. It is in no way a reflection of my intelligence, of my mastery of a subject. And so I hope you apply this to you too, if you're a highly sensitive person and or keep that in mind when you're seeing other people. And if it seems like, huh, doesn't seem like they know their stuff as well. Or, you know, if you doubt their intelligence, like you see those, I know like Jay Leno does it and someone like The Daily Show will do it. They'll go around and they'll, they'll ask people questions and they're seemingly simple questions and, or they'll ask them to do fast math on the spot. And you're just like, oh, oh my gosh, what is wrong with them? What is wrong with our society? We can't even answer these simple first grader level questions. And it's not as simple as that because it is hard when you're put on the spot, especially if you're highly sensitive. I think it's hard for everybody, for a lot of people. But when you're put on the spot, it can really impact how you're able to access information or process information. And so maybe that makes you come across as less than intelligent. That's just not the case. So let's keep that in mind for ourselves and for others. But how interesting, right? And how interesting the difference and how differently highly sensitive people are wired. And so coming back into that, it is all about sensitivity and how you're so sensitive to the stimuli. So sights and sounds. And that happens to me often if I'm in a loud room or in a place where there are a lot of stimuli so you have a lot of sights and sounds and flashing lights and especially if they're loud sounds or grating sounds or they feel grating to me or if I'm with my niece and she's making really loud sounds it really can grate on me and then that's where you can get irritable or get overwhelmed and shut down and we react different ways and so that's where that comes from where it's just draining you of your bandwidth and your processing power and it's just too much because we feel it so intensely, more intensely than people who aren't highly sensitive. 
and think about the cumulative effect of that in our lives and think about how that impacts you as you go through the world as a highly sensitive person. Especially, this includes emotions too. We feel emotions strongly and deeply and intensely, more intensely than non-sensitive people. And so that's why things can really get to us more. And this isn't to say that non-highly sensitive people don't feel things strongly. You absolutely can. This is just generally highly sensitive people feel things really strongly. And so sometimes that's why it's hard to self-regulate. And again, gosh, going back to complexity, it's if you hear me talking, A, I have ADHD, so I'm constantly going off on tangents, but B, it's because interconnection of all of this, of just being a human. And so you pull on one thread and it tugs on another because you talk about high sensitivity or you talk about lack of emotional regulation or challenging emotional regulation. There are a lot of factors that could play into that and or influence that. And so trauma, big T trauma, little t trauma, adversity, all of that can affect it. And if you haven't, if you're suspended in a stress cycle and you haven't finish that and or you know the way our brain is brain the way our brains are wired if we are experiencing adversity big t trauma little t trauma that gets caught in our lower brain and if we're not processing it like we should or if it's pretty intense trauma it's not able to migrate and make its way up to our prefrontal cortex and that's where our reasoning and our logic and all of that resides. And so if it's based in the lower part of our brain, that's just like the physiological responses. And so it's not until we were able to process that where our bodies and our minds feel safe enough to process that where we're able to and have enough time and a safe space to do that, then we're not able to process that. And so that's where we're still struggling with the emotional regulation and all of that, if that makes sense. So it's all baked into that and it's so fascinating our brains are so fascinating endlessly and we just have a preliminary understanding and so constantly learning more and more and as much as I read that's what I love that's why I'm constantly curious because there's so much to learn and you learn one thing and you can connect a dot to another and it's just on a constant quest to make sense of the world and myself and the people in and the people in the world and just so much to learn and man I feel like I really did get off on a tangent but getting back to being highly sensitive I always was growing up I'd feel things so strongly I'd feel emotions pretty intensely I could never understand or I would always marvel I could understand but at my sister we would get into it and have a fight and then snap of a finger and she could then go about her business and go about her day and or especially when we had a store and we would have like a spat and I just could not believe how easily she could just on a dime greet the customer walking in and that's great that's (laughs) that's what you should be able to do that's that's what I would want to do but I just was never because I just was so stuck in that emotion. I felt it so intensely that I would need some come down time. I needed to come down from that. It took a while for that feeling to dissipate. And I just, 
had a hard time and still even still I'm still working on regulating that to where I can just all of a sudden be functional again because I am just so consumed and caught up in that emotion and part of that is just being highly sensitive and again if I'm inundated with sensory stimuli or external stimuli other kinds of stimuli trying to think through that is really hard trying to respond and act and be kind and open through all of that it just it really can drain me and that's another reason why introverts need some recharging time where we need to retreat and just recharge our batteries so again if you're an introvert highly sensitive person and or if you know one this might shed some light and illuminate some of those unknowns and help you make sense of it and help you interact with people more effectively and this is important that we can know about each other and so we can understand maybe why people pull away maybe they need to recharge and or so we can give people space so we can all exist as harmoniously and peacefully as we can and if you're wondering if you're a highly sensitive person I have a quiz that I'm going to read some questions to you from so I will go through and ask each question and so you should answer it the way you personally feel and check the box in your mind or you can do this with a pen and paper or a computer or whatever with your phone and check the boxes where it's a yes answer and leave unchecked the boxes where it's a no and then you'll tally them up at the end and you can answer this for try to answer this for people you love maybe like for a boss or child anybody this is for anybody okay here are the questions I am easily overwhelmed by strong sensory input. I seem to be aware of subtleties in my environment. Other people's moods affect me. I tend to be very sensitive to pain. I find myself needing to withdraw during busy days into bed or into a darkened room or any place where I can have some privacy and relief from stimulation. I am particularly sensitive to the effects of caffeine. I am easily overwhelmed by things like bright lights, strong smells, coarse fabrics, or sirens close by. I have a rich, complex inner life. I am made uncomfortable by loud noises. I am deeply moved by the arts or music. My nervous system sometimes feels so frazzled that I just have to go off by myself. I am conscientious. I startle easily. I get rattled when I have a lot to do in a short amount of time. When people are uncomfortable in a physical environment, I tend to know what needs to be done to make it more comfortable, like changing the lighting or the setting or the seating. I am annoyed when people try to get me to do too many things at once. I try hard to avoid making mistakes or forgetting things. I make a point to avoid violent movies and TV shows. I become unpleasantly aroused when a lot is going on around me. Being very hungry creates a strong reaction in me, disrupting my concentration or mood. Changes in my life shake me up. I notice and enjoy delicate or fine scents, tastes, sounds, works of art. I find it unpleasant to have a lot going on at once. I make it a high priority to arrange my life to avoid upsetting or overwhelming situations.
I am bothered by intense stimuli like loud noises or chaotic scenes. When I must compete or be observed while performing a task, I become so nervous or shaky that I do much worse than I would otherwise. When I was a child, my parents or teachers seemed to see me as sensitive or shy. Okay, scoring. If you answered more than 14 of the questions as true of yourself, you are probably highly sensitive. But no psychological test is so accurate that an individual should base his or her life on it. And again, there are other reasons why you could be answering yes or no to these, so keep that in mind. And if fewer questions are true of you, but extremely true, that might also justify calling you highly sensitive. So quantity versus quality. Also, although there are as many men as women who are highly sensitive, when taking the test, highly sensitive men answer slightly fewer items as true than do highly sensitive women. Lots of resources out there. And let's go back through, I want to talk about some of my own experiences with some of these or just comments. So overwhelmed by strong sensory input, subtleties in the environment, you're able to really track what has changed. And I think some of this comes from trauma too, if you've experienced trauma, because you're so vigilant. Vigilance is one of your coping mechanisms where for your survival, for your well-being, you've had to learn to be able to detect nuances in the environment and what's changed. So especially like if the mood of a caregiver has changed or anything has changed, so you're trying to assure safety for yourself as much as you can. If you feel the need to withdraw, again, that's you needing to recharge your batteries and just kind of balance out that overstimulation so it can dissipate and come down. Particularly sensitive to the effects of caffeine, I know I am. It's part of my ADHD too. I'm overwhelmed by a lot of strong sounds and smells and all of that, very sensitive to them. I have a rich, complex inner life, but also I think it's important to acknowledge that most people do, that many of us do have a rich, complex inner life, and I think that's key to getting along with each other and understanding that we have all have hopes and wishes and dreams and fears and insecurities and all of that. And just because we can't see Others doesn't mean they don't have it. So we're all humans. I get rattled when I have a lot to do in a short amount of time. And that's something that I've tried to really work on lately is I just constantly feel like my default is to have my shoulders hunched up and to just feel like I'm rushed all the time. And I just, even if I'm cleaning out my juicer, whatever I'm doing, I just feel like I constantly am racing the clock and so rushed for time. And I just have to remind myself, sometimes I am, but I have to remind myself relax. It's fine. You're not being timed. You're not racing anybody. You can just do this task. And ironically, it's when I calm myself down, take a deep breath, become aware of my body, unclench everything in my body, then I'm able to actually do it more effectively and more efficiently. And so being calm is really helpful. Like recording this podcast, I am so sensitive to and aware of my puppy and all the sounds and things he's doing and all the naughty mischief he's getting into and so trying to focus on that while being aware of that is challenging and oh, if you if you know you know whether you're a mom a dog mom whatever whatever a human whatever and so just things to keep in mind another point I wanted to make was the label of shy and how shy Again, especially in this Western culture, like in the United States, 
there's a negative stigma attached often to shyness. I know that I didn't like being called shy growing up because I almost felt like it was a character flaw. Like there was something wrong with me. I just was deficient, inadequate if I was shy. And I really didn't like it and it grated on me. And I think I was shy when I was younger and I don't consider myself shy anymore. And I was talking to my sister about it a while ago and she's like, yeah, you're definitely not shy. I mean, I like getting up in public speaking. And there's a distinction, I think, between shyness and reservedness. So if you're reserved, I think that's different from being shy. Like, I'd rather just sit back and observe, speak up if I have something to say. And often I find myself balancing the energy in the room. And for a while, I couldn't figure out why I felt like 10 different people with 10 different personalities. And it depended on what situation I was in as to how my personality would manifest. And I, for a while I felt inauthentic, like what's wrong with me? Do I not have a personality? Am I just such a chameleon? And so wishy-washy that I don't actually have like a steady personality. Finally cracked the code and figured it out. It's because I find myself balancing the energy in the room. So if I'm with somebody who's really outgoing and really outspoken and loud and vivacious, I immediately pull back because I'm balancing the energy. Even something as subtle if somebody swears a lot, because I swear, I try not to swear too much. I try to also be respectful of the people I'm around, know the room, read the room, know your audience. But if I'm with someone who is swearing, especially if it's excessively, then, and that's subjective, but if I'm someone who is swearing, then I will, if I'm with someone who is swearing, then I usually don't. And or if somebody is really quiet, I find myself trying to overcompensate or just balance out the energy by being more, by putting more out there. And so when I'm with people where I walk away feeling not drained or completed, when I walk away from someone not feeling drained, then I know that that's that's my person. That's one of my people where I feel just fulfilled walking away, where I don't feel drained because I didn't have to balance the energy because it takes a lot of bandwidth to balance energy. And so maybe you recognize that in yourself, but that's just something that I've come to find with myself. And going back to the shy label, there's someone I follow on Instagram and I've been a longtime fan of hers um, back when I did Beachbody. And so she, as a parent, was talking about some of her parenting advice and her kids are grown now, but she was saying how growing up, she wouldn't ever call her kids shy. So like if they were in a setting and somebody was addressing her little girl or little boy, she wouldn't say that they were being shy. She wouldn't give them that label. Wow, right? Think about that for a minute. And think about it, it just seems so minor and trivial, right? But actually not. Because coming from someone who's labeled shy, that label follows you. And again, it can really convey this other message, this subtext, where it's a character flaw, or what's wrong, or why don't they speak up? Like, what's wrong? What's wrong? That's often asked, what's wrong? Why are you being so quiet? What's wrong? As in quietness, being quiet is wrong. It's abnormal. It's weird. 
it's unacceptable. All those things come to play with that. Why though? Why does it have to be? And yes, it's good to monitor people, especially if you know them well and they're more quiet than usual. It's good to check in. But maybe another phrase you could use instead of what's wrong and just let's give people space to just be, be their different ways instead of just expecting everybody to be extroverted or expecting everybody to be vocal and outgoing. That just doesn't even make sense with more than 7 billion people on the earth. We're not all going to be the same way. We wouldn't want, gosh, can you imagine? I think of some of my really outgoing friends, if we were all like that, it would be utter chaos. And you don't want everybody to be like that. If you're one of those people, you need people to laugh your jokes too, right? <laughs> so it's good to have all different kinds, all different kinds of us walking around. That's a good thing. And let's be mindful just of how we're viewing people, of how we're perce- perceiving people and how we're perceiving ourselves and how we're talking to our youth and the labels and the messages that we're conveying to them, the verbal and nonverbal messages and cues that we're giving to them about the social acceptability of being shy or quiet or highly sensitive. And that's kind of what prompted this whole podcast episode is I have a friend who is highly sensitive and I love and appreciate that so much about her. Well, many of my friends are and there's a pattern there, (laughs) but I really see such value in that. And I remember, so my, so this person was, um, someone had had called her sensitive. And again, like often that scene is kind of like a dig sometimes, often in our culture. Oh, you're so sensitive. You're too sensitive. You're so sensitive. Don't be so sensitive. Right? Yes. It's often not seen as a positive thing. In this case, the person I was there, the person had meant it as a positive thing. They meant it as like, oh, you're so mindful. You're so considerate. You're so sensitive. Like you're so sensitive to my needs or to someone else's needs. So it was seen as a good thing. And this person, understandably so, did not receive it that way. Because so often in our society, in our culture, it's not intended that way. It's intended, oh, you're being too sensitive. Don't let that get to you so much. Quit being so sensitive which is a shame. I think it's a superpower to be sensitive. Think of all the things that that brings you. You're aware of people. You're able to make them feel comfortable, hopefully not into the realm of codependency, but you're able to be mindful of people and make them feel seen and heard and valued. You're able to observe and detect the subtle differences in environments. That's very valuable in law enforcement, right? You're able to see What could be changed? What could be optimized? You're able to empathize and tune in. There's such good things that come with being highly sensitive. And so I'm on a crusade to rebrand it. I think it's a good thing to be sensitive. And yes, you can get into the realm where just everything gets to you. And so then that's where, you know, inner work comes in and talking with a therapist or digging in and figuring out what's got you so rattled and triggered all the time because there is a balance and a homeostasis that would ideally come with it to where you don't feel so, for lack of a better word, triggered all the time. But 
embrace your sensitivity. Embrace other sensitivity. And let's be careful about how we talk about sensitivity with ourselves and with others. So that's what I have to say about it. I do have a quote from the quiet book that I want to read. And this just speaks to how wonderful sensitivity is. And this is, again, from Susan Cain's book, Quiet. For example, highly sensitive people tend to be keen observers who look before they leap. They arrange their lives in ways that limit surprises. They're often sensitive to sights, sounds, smells, pain, coffee. They have difficulty when being observed at work, say, or performing at a music recital, or judged for general worthiness, dating, job interviews, etc. But there are new insights. The highly sensitive tend to be philosophical or spiritual in their orientation, rather than materialistic or hedonistic. They dislike small talk. They often describe themselves as creative or intuitive. They dream vividly and can often recall their dreams the next day. They love music, nature, art, physical beauty. They feel exceptionally strong emotions, sometimes acute bouts of joy, but also sorrow, melancholy, and fear. Highly sensitive people also process information about their environments, both physical and emotional, unusually deeply. They tend to notice subtleties that others miss. Another person's shift in mood, say, or light bulb burning a touch too brightly. So again, think of all the value that could bring. And what a good friend, parent, caretaker, human you can be if you're highly sensitive. So power to the sensitive people. I love you. I see you. I respect you. I am you. I am one of you. And I love you all. Highly sensitive, non-highly sensitive. I love you all. Thank you for listening.